are listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. Well, it's my honor to be with you on this day, this very important day, this day where we celebrate, commemorate, and we make much of the fact that our Lord is risen from the dead. I'm glad that we serve a risen Savior today, and uh, I'm honored for the opportunity. There's no greater truth, no greater subject than the subject and truth, I believe, that I'm going to try to preach to you uh, this morning. If you have your Bible, I want you to turn with me to the book of Luke. Luke chapter number 24, and we'll read verse 1 down through verse number 9. Here the Bible says, Now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came unto the sepulcher, bringing the spices which they had prepared, and certain others with them. And they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher. And they entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. And it came to pass, as they were much perplexed thereabout, Behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. And as they were afraid and bowed down their faces to the earth, they said unto them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words and returned from the sepulcher and told all these things unto the eleven and to all the rest. For just a few moments today, I just want to simply take the truth and use it as the title for my message. And I want us to consider the thought and consider the truth today of resurrection. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for your power to be upon this message. I pray that you speak to the hearts of all those that will be watching this sermon video. I pray for those who are lost that they would be convicted of their sin, and they would be saved. I pray you to encourage Christians that we serve a living Savior. Because He lives, we have the truth and promise that we'll live forever with Him also. I pray now for your touch. In Jesus' name, amen. I read an illustration recently, and it said, A British pastor began to lose his voice and mobility. He had a disease that caused progressive muscular atrophy. He recognized the end was near, so he threw himself into writing and praying. In the midst of his suffering, he pleaded, Let me stay in the struggle, Lord. I don't mind if I can no longer be a general, but just give me a regiment to lead. His voice eventually failed completely, and his legs became useless. On Easter morning, just a few weeks before his death, he took a pen and shakily wrote his daughter a letter. In it he said, it's a terrible thing to wake up on Easter morning and have no voice with which to shout resurrection. But it would be still more terrible to have a voice and not want to shout about it. The greatest news report ever delivered came from an empty tomb in a Judean graveyard. It wasn't printed in a bold headline. It wasn't broadcasted on a screen. It wasn't announced by an orator nor read by a head of state. The greatest news report that ever rang out into the hearts of man was carried by a group of women who had gone to a borrowed tomb before the sun's rays had chased the darkness of the night away, early on the first day of the week, to attend to a corpse. The greatest report came from a source that expected death and discovered life, expected to mourn 
and experienced rejoicing. Expected a body, but found absolutely nothing. Expected decomposition, but was introduced to resurrection. Three days prior to our text, these women and the other close followers of Christ had watched their friend, their leader, and their Messiah die. They witnessed as his back was torn to ribbons of flesh. They saw nails driven through his hands. They watched the iron penetrate his feet. The spear had been driven deep into his side and the thorny crown had dug stinging wells of blood that was springing from his forehead. They'd heard his bones jar out of joint as his cross fell into place. No doubt they'd heard, it is finished, resound from the gory scene of Golgotha. They stood in darkness in the middle of the day as the sun was shrouded in the sky. They trembled as the earth shook. The temple veil was rent and the rocks were broken asunder. They watched Jesus die. They assumed that that trip to the tomb would be nothing out of the ordinary. And the presence of the mangled body of Jesus lying in the tomb was the sure expectation of these women. They anticipated seeing the battered earthly tabernacle resting behind a giant stone that was supposed to seal the grave. They'd seen him suffer. They'd witnessed his agony. They'd prepared his body for burial. They knew that Jesus had died. In that tomb was placed their hope. In that tomb was laid their faith. In that tomb resigned their belief. The disciples were hiding. The followers were fearful. It was a dark hour in many ways prior to the sunrise on that first day of the week. These women went into the garden that still Sunday morning, no doubt thinking the story of Jesus had been written and the battle had been lost. But I'm glad to say they'd leave the tomb that day with a testimony that would forever turn the world upside down. A, world, a word rather would be spoken on that day that gives you and I reason to celebrate on this day. In fact, every time the church bell rings and every time Christian people pack out a pew on Sunday, it commemorates this grand occasion in the garden, all along the route back to Jerusalem and in the secluded upper room, the atmosphere was filled with human voices whispering, speaking, and shouting one word, the word resurrection. Here in Luke 24, we find the foundation of Christianity surely set in place by the truth we find in our text. The Bible tells us when. The Bible tells us who. The Bible tells us where. And the Bible tells us what took place three days after Calvary that from that moment and throughout all eternity seals the Christian's victory and signed the devil's defeat. In these verses we find the resting place of faith and hope's reassurance. There is no need for crepe to hang upon these verses. There's no need for tissues to dry the, ear, the, the tears away. There's no need for weepers to line the streets or black shrouds to adorn our text. Early on Sunday morning, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Mary, the mother of James, journeyed into the garden and toward the grave to anoint the body of Jesus. They'd prepared that body just days before. They'd anointed it. They'd wrapped it. They'd left it appropriately laid to rest inside the cut stoned walls of Joseph's tomb. Perhaps they'd watched as the soldiers had rolled the giant stone before the entrance. They'd left the tomb with first-hand knowledge of the fact that Jesus had not simply swooned. Jesus had not just passed out, but Jesus had literally given up the ghost, laid down his life, and died upon the cross. 
in verse 1 through 3. I'll read it. The Bible says, Now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came into the sepulcher, bringing the spices which they had prepared and certain others with them. And they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher, and they entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. These women went with spices to anoint a body, but soon discovered there was no body in the tomb. The great stone had been rolled away, the sepulcher was exposed, and Jesus had exited. These followers of Christ were amazed. In fact, the Bible says they were perplexed. They prepared their heart for more. Their eyes were ready to shed more tears and suddenly their agenda was turned upside down by the discovery the tomb was indeed empty. In verse 4 through 7, the Bible says, Two men, angels, stood by the tomb in shining apparel. They looked at these bewildered women and they asked them in a very straight manner, almost as though they were surprised that those women were so surprised, and they asked them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? It's as though they're asking, Why would you seek the one who raised Lazarus from the dead? among the dead. Why would you seek the one who opened blinded eyes among the dead? Why would you seek the one that restored those crippled limbs among the dead? Why would you seek the one who raised the widow's dead son here among the dead? And let me parenthetically ask some of you the same question. It's amazing how many of God's people will try to seek life out there in a world where you cannot really find life. I didn't start living until I got born again. Let me ask you the question, why would you try to seek peace or satisfaction or fulfillment in a place where you could never find it? You'll no sooner find life out there in the world than the maniac of Gadara found real life living among the tombs. And I tell you where life is found, it's anchored in the one who is the life source. It's found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Then a statement's made in verse 6. The angel makes the statement, and it's preserved for us here in the King James Bible. And I believe this statement has no equal. No poet's pen, no writer's quill, no orator's tongue can touch the hem of the garment of this inspired declaration. The heavenly messenger declares it from the empty tomb so that all of heaven... All of earth and all of hell could hear the truth clearly. And he says, he is not here, but is risen. He's risen, just like he said. He's risen, just like he promised. He's risen, just like was prophesied. Can you consider with me for a moment the depth and the breadth and the height and the magnitude of that truth? Can I say that is, if ever there was, that's a truth of triumph. He is risen. Think about it. He's risen in spite of the false accusations. He's risen in spite of the kangaroo court. He has risen in spite of Pilate's buffeting. He has risen in spite of the cat of nine tails. He's risen in spite of the slaps on his face. He has risen in spite of the spit running down his beard. He has risen in spite of the thorny crown. He has risen in spite of the mockers. He has risen in spite of the agony. He has risen in spite of the nails. He's risen. He's risen in spite of the spear. He's risen in spite of the grave. He's risen in spite of the pain. He's risen 
risen. In spite of death, he's risen. In spite of the grave, he is not here. He's risen just as he said. Like Samson who brought down the pillars of the temple, so Christ in resurrection broke the bands of sin. Like David who cut down Goliath, so Christ in resurrection cut down the giant of death in the grave. Just as Joshua shouted down the walls of Jericho, so Christ in resurrection broke down the wall that separated us from God. Just as Moses stared Pharaoh in the eye and made a way through the Red Sea, so Jesus in resurrection stared death and hell in the eye. He took the keys from that place and made a way for you and I to get where God is. Can I say that single statement brought down the devil's dominion? It crippled condemnation's hold. It broke sin's bands asunder and offered liberty to those in bondage. That giant stone wasn't rolled away to let Jesus out. Can I say all of hell could not have held Jesus in there but that giant stone was rolled away to let those women look inside and see he'd vacated the premises and kept this promise. Imagine the excitement. Imagine the electricity in the atmosphere. Imagine how surprised those women must have been. Can you see it in your mind? As they ran from that garden back to the upper room, their hearts beating, I mean, their voices trembling, no doubt their hands shaking. They couldn't believe what they'd heard and they couldn't wrap their heart around what they'd seen. I mean, they'd all seen Jesus suffer. They'd seen him die. They watched his agonizing walk up Calvary's hill. They saw the cross as it was laid on his back. They watched as his hands and feet were fastened to the wood. And now that news falls on their ears. Jesus has has risen from the dead. I'd say that upper room, I'd say every secluded group of fearful believers, I'd say every back alley, the shadows of the main streets, they were all filled with human voices echoing out the anthem of that sweet truth for the Christian. One word, that word, resurrection. I like the hymn, Christ the Lord is risen today. Hallelujah. Earth and heaven in chorus say, hallelujah. Rise, raise your joys and triumphs high. Hallelujah. Sing ye heavens and earth reply. Hallelujah. Can I say the greatest news report that ever came to man? It didn't come from a trained reporter. It didn't come across a national broadcasting platform. It wasn't to tell a nation about a politician, a medical condition, a failing economy, or a foreign conflict. It wasn't news about a virus. It was news about victory. It sure wasn't a report about shelter in place. It was a report about one who couldn't be held in and he came out of the grave resurrection what a word just mention that word it draws joy out of sorrow it brings peace in the midst of the storm it produces hope in hopelessness it robs the sting from death and steals victory from the grave resurrection it dries the mourners tears it calms the hurting heart resurrection it provides solid ground in an unsteady world and turns every Christian plot in every cemetery anywhere in this world into shouting ground resurrection proclaimed the emancipation of the redeemed and it declared the end incarceration of the devil. I think about the statement that says as in Adam all die so in Christ shall all be made alive. And I thought you know what Adam he fell in a garden. Thank God our Savior rose in a garden. Adam died in a garden. Christ proved himself alive in a garden. Adam was separated from God in a garden. Christ reconciled us to God in a garden. Adam lost it all in the garden. But 
thank God Jesus came out triumphant in the garden. I think about this song. He arose a victor over the vast domain and he lives forever with the saints to reign. He arose. Resurrection separates Christianity from the cults. Resurrection separates Jesus from the false prophets. Resurrection is the keystone of the Christian faith. It's the force and the factor that distinguishes Christian doctrine. Resurrection makes forgiveness sure, grace sufficient, salvation satisfying, and heaven something we can all look forward to. I'll say it like this. Resurrection is a topic the Muslim can't preach. The Buddhist can't teach it. The unbeliever can't reach it. Science can't theorize it. Philosophy can't rationalize it. Resurrection is a sweet truth only reserved for the children of God. There's only one religion that doesn't have a dead founder. There's only one doctrine that doesn't have a dead source. There's only one following that doesn't follow after a dead leader. Resurrection is a monopolized truth and it belongs to only one. The manger was precious. The cross was passionate. That tomb was painful. But thank God the resurrection of Christ was powerful. Paul said that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. The resurrection, that's God's exclamation point. It's God's smile of approval. It's God's embrace of his son who he had to forsake as he hung on the cross for our sin. Resurrection means this, atonement accepted, pardon provided, redemption received, and sacrifice supplied. Resurrection means condemnation canceled, justification confirmed, and salvation completed. The empty tomb stands forever as God's paid in full stamp upon our debt of sin. That empty tomb shines throughout eternity as God's green light to glory. The empty tomb testifies for the believer. Thank God for it. The old account was settled long ago. There's no sweeter song. There's no more powerful sermon. There's no more hope-giving decree than that one word, the word of resurrection. It's the envy of the angels. And thank God it's the inheritance of the saints. Resurrections the knot that assured salvation's plan. Resurrections the nail that sealed the coffin of death. Resurrections the key that opened the gate to heaven. Resurrections the blade that severed that partition to allow us into heaven's holy place. Resurrections the reaping of the first fruits and the promise that a great harvest day is on the way. I like the phrase, he is not here but is risen. Thank God for resurrection. There's some words that are synonymous with certain things. But most words are shared across a wide platform. Most words are not uniquely tied to just any given person or place, but they're used for a variety of things. When we talk about words like happiness or joy or even peace and love, things of that nature, they're associated with many things, whether it be accurate or not. Everyone out in the world, everywhere, has their own description, their own definition, their own idea when it comes to most of those words. I mean, you can fight over it. You ask him out on the street, a hundred people have a hundred different opinions of what love is, what happiness is, what peace is, uh, what uh, joy is, and they have varied definitions. And folks can argue the merit of their definition. But I say you ask that same crowd about that one powerful word, that word resurrection, and the spectrum is not wide, and the platform is not broad and the answers will not be so varied. 
You ask that crowd about the word resurrection, and I say their minds won't travel a hundred different directions. They won't go, it doesn't matter their race, their religion, their color, their creed. They won't go a myriad of places, but I believe that their mind, their attention, all falls on the same location. There's only one spot that when you see it on the map, you think resurrection. There's only one book that when you read it, you think resurrection. There's only one name that when you hear it, you think resurrection. You go to any cemetery in this world and you look at the markers and you can find famous men and infamous men. You can find authors and singers and statesmen and soldiers and you'll find explorers and athletes, religious people and God deniers alike, but noticeably absent from every cemetery ever marked off since the dawn of man is a name that's above every name. In fact, if you go to that spot right outside of Jerusalem where they say his body was laid, you'll hear it now just like the angel said 2,000 years ago. He is not here but is risen. You can find a tombstone that says Einstein. You can find a marker that reads Pope so-and-so. You can visit the stone that has Washington's name upon it, but there'll never be a carved piece of granite that has the name of God upon it because death couldn't hold him and the grave could not keep him. You go now to the realm of the dead, and if you wanted to call roll, if you could do that and call out names, you could call out uh, for Muhammad, and the answer come back here. And you could call for Buddha, and maybe they'd respond at present. And you could call Confucius or uh, Russell or Young or whoever else you'd want to choose and the answer comes back the same here present but you go to that same place and you call out the name Jesus and I'll say there'll be a response come out of that darkened cavern of the dead and that answer responds and said he is not here he is risen the Hindu can keep his reincarnation the Buddhists can have his nirvana the Muslim can take his pilgrimage to Mecca I'll just keep shouting over resurrection. Rejoice, rejoice, O Christian. Lift up your voice and sing eternal hallelujahs to Jesus Christ the King. He lives, he lives. Christ Jesus lives today. It belongs to one person. It's credited to one individual. Resurrection rings a single bell and when it chimes in the heart of man, it draws our attention to one name. I said above every name, it points to Jesus. We don't serve a dead Jew in a borrowed tomb. We center upon a risen Lord and a risen Savior. Resurrection belongs to Jesus. Resurrection only one crowd, resurrection, only one sect, resurrection, only one group that can claim that wonderful truth. There's no word more hated in hell than resurrection. There's no word more celebrated in heaven than resurrection. You whisper resurrection and Satan shakes, but you whisper resurrection and all of heaven shouts. The old hymn got it right, O day of resurrection, O day of joy and light, O seal of our redemption, most beautiful, most bright. The dictionary defines resurrection as the act of rising from the dead or rising again from decay or disuse. Now, that's a fine definition, maybe to help the world grasp an understanding of resurrection. But can I say there's a big difference in resurrection and the resurrection. And I'm not speaking today about a generic resurrection. And I'm not even talking about a general resurrection. But I'm talking about that moment when we find God resurrected from the dead. And it's not just resurrection that makes the difference. It is the 
resurrection that makes the difference. And I want us to consider just for a moment, quickly, and I'll close, the truth of resurrection. If those women could make such a stir about it 2,000 years ago, and if it could grip the hearts of Christ's followers, then don't you think it ought to mean something to us today on all days, this Easter celebration day, that our Lord is the Lord of resurrection. You say, what does the resurrection mean to me? Here it is, Christian resurrection means this, Jesus is God. Now, I did not say he's a God. I didn't say he's part God. I didn't say he's half God or even three quarters God. I didn't say he's one on one of many gods that sit upon the shelf. He alone holds that title. He alone fills that post. He alone sits on that throne. Resurrection proves Jesus is God. Romans chapter one. The first four verses read, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated under the gospel of God, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the holy scriptures, concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, watch it now, and declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Can I say it like this? Jesus did not need helped up or helped out. He just stepped out because he is God. That's what gave Paul the confidence to say, I know whom I believe and am persuaded. I'm glad today we don't just follow a philosopher. We don't just follow a teacher. We don't just follow a charismatic individual. But I'm glad the head of this thing is none other than God himself. I'm talking about the almighty, omnipotent, everlasting, alpha and omega, resurrection and life. That's who it is. Jesus is God. Some might argue the Godship of Christ and they might try to argue it on the basis of his birth. And maybe they would say there's a backstory there that you and I just aren't educated to, and they might argue that. Maybe they would argue his godship on the merit of his life. And they would say, surely the Bible just did not include those moments when he sinned and strayed and slipped and missed the will of God. Maybe they would argue and try to anyway on the merit of his words and they try to dissect our Bible and say some of that's not the word of God and others, well, it was written by somebody else and there's other more ancient manuscripts and they might argue that. But can I say, you might try to argue on the merit of those things, but you can't argue when it comes to the merit of the fact that he didn't stay dead, he rose from the grave. Can I say there's been many great men who have died, only one who died died and lived again. The Bible says, ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, but watch this, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holding of it. The devils said Jesus was God. Peter said Jesus is God. The centurion declared Jesus is God. The woman at the well said Jesus is God. Martha said Jesus is God. Paul said Jesus is God. John said Jesus is God. And every preacher worth his salt and calling ever since that first century till now has shouted that Jesus is God. But can I say the best of men 
are men at best. They can be misled, they can be mistaken, they can misunderstand and even misspeak. So maybe we won't go to man. Let's let that empty tomb testify. And as it testifies, it's the megaphone echoing the voice of God throughout the ages. That tomb was vacated. That tomb was exited. That tomb was empty. Why? Because you can't kill God. Jesus stepped out on resurrection ground. I'm glad he's God today. He's a powerful, powerful God. He resurrected. Number two, what's resurrection mean? Not just that Jesus is God, but I like this. Resurrection means the blood is satisfying. Now I want to read a lengthy portion of Scripture, so listen closely to what Hebrews 10, verse 4 through 12. For the law having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered because that the worshipers once purged should have had no more conscience of sins. But in those sacrifices there's a remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. Wherefore, when he cometh into this world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, I come. In the volume of the book it's written of me to do thy will, O God. Above when he said, Sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering for sin thou wouldest not neither has pleasure therein which are offered by the law then said he lo I come to do thy will O God he taketh away the first that he may establish the second by the which we, uh, we uh, will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all and every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sins but this man after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever sat down on the right hand of God from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool which he stopped and consider with me all of the sacrifices that had been offered in Old Testament times the blood that had been shed from the garden of Eden that ran through the tabernacle over the altars and then into the temple. Can you imagine all the animals that had to die to atone for the sin of Israel? Blood was shed. Animals died over and over and over and over again. And they had to do it over and over. Why? Because a temporal sacrifice can only yield a temporal atonement. And listen, can I say that temporal sacrifice cannot atone for an eternal sin death. And Jesus came. Thank God for it. We're not saved by the blood of bulls and goats. We're not saved by the blood of a dove or a sheep. It was the Lamb of God who died on the cross for our sin. The blood on the mercy seat testifies to us that the blood was satisfying. That crimson strand ran from Genesis to Revelation, but its culminating point was found on a hill called Calvary. God could not be satisfied with the blood of bulls and goats, but I'm glad he was well satisfied with the blood of his only begotten son there's one sacrifice one offering one atonement that pleased the wrath of God and paid for our sin and as Jesus suffered and hung and died he was shedding that blood to atone for us and every drop of blood that hit the ground he cried out justified satisfied perfect pure and acceptable but can I say it's the resurrection that proves to us today that that offering was accepted by God J. Wilbur Chapman wrote the him in 1910 living he loved me 
Dying, he saved me. Buried, he carried my sins far away. Rising, he justified freely forever. And one day he's coming, oh glorious day. The efficacy of the blood is proved by the surety of the resurrection. The Bible says, for as much as you know that you're not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ and the proof that Christ's blood paid our debt is wrapped up in resurrection. First Corinthians says if Christ be not risen then we are still in our sin but can you see it? That's God's smile. That's God's approval. That's God's acceptance. Jesus died but he didn't stay dead. Thank God he resurrected and the blood of Christ is on the mercy seat in heaven and makes atonement for our sin. In evil long I took delight, unawed by shame or fear, until a new object struck my sight and ruined my wild career. I saw one hanging on a tree in agony and blood. He lifted his languid eyes on me as near his cross I stood. Sure, never till my latest breath can I forget that look. It seemed to charge me with his death, though not a word he spoke. My conscience felt and owned the guilt, and it plunged me to despair. I saw my sin, his blood had shed, and helped to nail him there. But a second look he gave, which said, I freely all forgive. This blood is for thy ransom paid. I die that thou mightst live. What's resurrection mean today? It means this, Jesus is God. Number two, it means this, the blood is satisfying. What can wash away my sin? It's not my good works. It's not baptistry water. It's not church membership. It's not ethnicity or country of origin. It's not my income nor my IQ, but the blood of Christ. And that's wrapped up in resurrection. Thirdly, resurrection means this. The Christian, thank God for this, is victorious. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 51 through 57, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we'll all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So in this corruptible shall put on incorruption and this mortal shall put on immortality. Then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Death, what a horrible thought it is to mortal man. What a horrible reality that is to consider. Everywhere we go, we're faced with the fact that one day, outside of rapture, we're going to die. In times like these, it's even more clear to us how fragile our life is. Job thought about death. He asked, if a man die, will he live again? You drive down the road from your church or drive down the road from your house, and no doubt you'll pass funeral homes. You'll see uh, hospitals. You'll see graveyards. You watch the news and you hear about murders and tragedies and wars and death and death tolls that are rising. It's a stinging thing to consider that one day our bodies will return to dust and we're going to die. But thank God for the Christian. The grave is not the final destination. Death is just a doorway to glory for us. The cemetery is not burial ground for the child of God. Thank God it's resurrection ground. Can I encourage you today, child of God, you ought not hang your head down. Your shoulders ought not droop. Your outlook ought not be uh, drear and dim and gloomy. Thank God we're victorious. 
The Bible says, but if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. Again, knowing that he which raised up the Lord shall raise up us also by Jesus and shall present us with, with, with you. We're on the winning side and we say it all the time, but I want you to know on the winning side is more than just a good tune. That's a good truth. And the reason we're on the winning side is because we have a winning savior and thank Thank God, don't be ignorant, brethren, Paul said, concerning them which are asleep. Don't sorrow, he said, like you don't have any hope. He said, the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God and the dead in Christ. That's resurrection, victory. The dead in Christ shall rise first. So here's the truth. Whether it be rapture or the grave, whether we go uh, by the way of Jesus calling us up uh, in this body or whether the grave opens and we go, hey, it's glory for us. Why? Because our Savior was victorious over death, hell, and the grave. The Christ who came for Calvary and conquered the sting of death through resurrection. Thank God he's coming again in the clouds for you and I that are alive. Christ was victorious and now we have this confidence that we're more than conquerors in Christ. The Bible says Jesus brought life and mortality to light by the gospel. What's the gospel? The death, the burial, but don't miss it. The resurrection of Christ. The, right, the light of resurrection is our guide to the gloom of the grave. His love lights the way. And you and I don't have to fear death because Christ was victorious and thank God we're victorious. Every time the sun rises in the morning, it testifies to the heart of the Christian, resurrection day is coming. Every time springtime rolls around and that dead vegetation blooms and grows again, it's a reminder to the Christian, resurrection day is coming. Every time you sow seed and plant a garden and that seed lies dormant beneath the soil, but eventually life springs up out of the ground. That's a re reminder to you and I. Resurrection day's coming. Every time you rise out of bed in the morning and go about your day, as you raise up out of bed, that should be a reminder to you and I. Resurrection day is coming. I remember my grandmother died, and I've told this illustration at our church before. I remember as my grandmother was bring, breathing her last breath. We went to her house. I was to preach her funeral, and I did. And we walked in the house, and my grandfather had dementia, and he was sitting in his recliner, and he wasn't aware that in the back bedroom, my grandmother was in a hospice bed and about to pass away. They'd been married almost 60 years, and my grandpa had been a preacher, and my grandmother just a sweet Christian lady. I walked back in that room, and I saw my mother and all of her siblings standing there and their pastor, and we just sort of watched the body of my grandmother. She struggled for breath. My grandfather shuffled his way back down the hallway. And as he came into that room, I wouldn't believe it if I hadn't been there, but I'd heard people say this has happened in their life. It was like God gave Papa, we call him, his mind back. He was suddenly aware, and he was almost as though he was a preacher again. He walked over to the body, almost just body, of my grandmother, and he looked down at her, and he took his hand. I remember his hand shaking as it lowered he had bruises on the back of his hand from his medication and things. And he took his hand and pushed her white hair that's as white as my shirt off of her forehead. He leaned down and kissed her on the forehead and said, Honey, you don't feel good, do you? Of course, she was unresponsive. And he made the statement. He said, If you've got to go home without me, go ahead. He said, Because I know that if I don't meet you in the morning, I'll meet you on the shores of glory. He looked across her body at me and said, Preacher, would you say something? And then our family began to sing, There'll be no sorrow there, 
No more burdens to bear, no sickness, no pain, no more parting. Over there, what a day that will be. My grandma died and I preached her funeral. A couple of years later, my grandfather passed away and I preached his funeral. Right now in West Virginia on a hillside, there are two granite markers that have their names upon them. And we buried them and we read some verses in the Word of God and we said, see you later. But can I say there'll be a day coming when all of that settled soil and the coffin lids that contain their bodies and all of gravity's force won't be able to hold their bodies down because those who die in the Lord, thank God for it, we have the truth and promise of resurrection. Maybe you're watching this today and you're not saved. I want you to understand that you need to believe this truth. Believe in your heart that Jesus died for your sins, he was buried, and he rose again the third day according to the scripture. You can't pay your own sin debt. That's why Jesus died on the cross. Resurrection, I say, is the knot in the plan of salvation. It's our surety that you can put your faith and trust in Christ. He is God. Today, if you would ask the Lord to forgive you of your sin, maybe say something like, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner, and I believe that you died for my sin, and I, I know the wage of sin is death, and I don't want to go to hell. Say, Jesus, I'm sorry for my sin. And right now, I'm putting my faith in you and asking you to save my soul, be my Savior, and to take me to heaven when I die. Can I say, resurrection can be more than just a, another day on the calendar, resurrection day. It can be a truth that won't just change your life. It'll change your eternal life. What's resurrection mean for us? It means Jesus is God. There's none other. His name's above every name. Not only that, the blood was satisfying as Jesus shed his blood on the cross, thank God it was shedding, he was shedding blood to pay for our sin. It also means the Christian's victorious. I don't care what you have going on down here. This world's not our home. And some of you who said goodbye to loved ones, maybe even in recent days, they died in the Lord, you know this. You'll see them again on the shores of glory. I'm going to say a word of prayer, and then the pastor will come, and he'll follow up. If you need to be saved today, get saved. Christian, maybe it's been a long time since you just praised the Lord for resurrection. Maybe I ought to get stirred about that truth. Lord, I pray that you'd help us as Christian people not to be discouraged, not to be depressed, but Lord, to be stirred up over the truth that we serve a risen Savior. Hallelujah, Christ arose, the song says. I pray you'd help us never to get over that. Help us to live with that hope evident in our life that whether we go by Gabriel's trumpet or the grave, thank God heaven is our sure inheritance. I pray for those listening or watching this video even now that have never been born again. I pray they'd understand that they're a sinner, the wages of sin is death, but that you died for their sin upon the cross. And the Bible said that if they'll just call upon your name, they could be saved. Thank you for the Bible. Thank you for the truth preserved for us. He is not here. He's risen. Thank God for resurrection. Thank you for listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. For more information about our ministry or to find out how to get in contact with us, visit our website at nvbc.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.